Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So as we begin this show on a Tuesday morning, there is news coming out. Brian Davis, reporter for the Austin American Statesman, letting it be known that today, within the next really couple of hours, I guess, Oklahoma and Texas could officially petition for membership in the SEC. You saw the news yesterday on Monday that Oklahoma and Texas officially notified the Big 12. They had no intention of re-signing a what's called a grant of rights agreement when that deal with the TV partners and media rights partners expires in 2025. That was essentially the the signal that Oklahoma and Texas were leaving the Big 12. It's now seemingly a formality of when they officially join the SEC, but basically asking for that opportunity could begin as soon as today we know already there is a meeting in place of fcc presidents at some point in time this week to what we would assume obviously talk about this and we could get official deliberations on this coming very very soon and the chances are while it's possible that the oklahoma texas thing drags out for a couple of years before they finally become official league members it could also happen sooner rather than later i mean there is a, a chance that these two teams are playing in the sec as quickly as 2022 although it's it's not necessarily going to be that year in which all of that goes down. And let me just say this in kind of relationship with the Georgia angle on this, because it's obviously Georgia fans I talk the most to. This has been, since last Wednesday when it first came to light, the most fascinating story I've ever seen in college football. And I mean that literally without hyperbole. Hyperbole. I think that's the way that word is pronounced. Uh, it is literally the biggest story I think I've ever seen because it's the most unimaginable change possible if you want to go back certainly to when I was kind of growing up as a college sports fan you know back in the 90s coming of age then in the early 2000s and really even into the playoff era you know you kind of think of Oklahoma and Texas as these flagship schools that represent kind of a southwestern quadrant of this country different from the SEC and for a lot of diehard SEC fans schools like Texas and Oklahoma literally were considered the enemy and Oklahoma and Texas kind of considered you know the SEC to be the enemy remember back when Bob Stoops was Oklahoma coach and all the ways in which you know he talked up you know wanting to win those SEC games against SEC competition win those bowl games we had a chance to play Alabama which he did at one point in time and you know so to think that these powers the two from the southwest and the conglomeration here in the southeast of the sec would now be joining forces this is just an unbelievable unbelievable story and every aspect of it is fascinating but for this particular moment what's fascinating for me today though is is how quickly people have kind of moved on to from the wow can you believe texas and oklahoma are coming to the sec to all of a sudden now what is going to happen next because obviously something is going to happen next and i think the thing that probably first brought this to mind for me was when i had john stinchcomb on the show yesterday now we had to record the show on sunday night for that so this is a couple of days ago that i spoke to john and it was my first chance to hear john's thoughts on what do you think of sec expansion what do you think of bringing texas and oklahoma into this league what do you think of this unimaginable transformation if you want to go back to just a few years ago that the sec is about to undergo and john was really the one that brought that up to me of i actually think this is just one of a couple of dominoes that are about to fall i think there are more dominoes that are falling after this and 
whatever comes after this next may even be weirder in our minds than than what is going to go down with Texas and Oklahoma now being in the same league as Georgia and the impact that's going to have on Georgia's scheduling and everything else. And to hear John say that and to hear him speak that so prominently when I was still kind of wrapping my mind around the Longhorns and the Sooners being in the SEC, I think there was just a little bit of a shock factor there. But when you watch what has been said by other people in the aftermath of what John said on Sunday night, I think that's just about right, that all of a sudden now, there's really no potential change that could come to college football Does, that is so far outside the realm of possibility that it shouldn't be considered. You know, I, th- I think some of us, when we first heard this, I think there was this thought, going back to SEC Media Days last Wednesday, of we're in talking season. It's still kind of the dead of summer if you're not actually in the room in SEC Media Days. It still feels like we're a few weeks away from the start of the season, more than a month away from the start of the season. It's the kind of time in which rumors have a tendency to fester. I think a lot of people thought this was kind of one of those rumors that would eventually flame out pretty quick and no then you realize no it's it's kind of real and kind of true and all of a sudden we were all forced to expand our minds of what's even possible when it comes to college sports and what John said Sunday what other folks have said in the in the aftermath since then I think kind of points out that there is no rumor that you could hear that at face value is so ludicrous that it could be immediately dismissed that's kind of the age in which we live and so I'm thinking about other prominent voices and some of the things they've said as of late remember jay billis on espn a couple of days ago talking about you know his idea for how a league like the acc how they might respond might respond to what the sec has clearly done with not only a big financial move of bringing in you know moneyed programs like oklahoma and texas but but pretty clearly a power play by the league commissioner greg sankey to put more of the the top programs in college football kind of under his control and billis who has some ties to the acc because he played to Duke had an idea about how he thought a league like the ACC should respond to all of this once again this is fascinating it sounds crazy but at this point in time is anything too crazy to be dismissed this is Jay Billis if you're in this business now you're gonna have to start thinking bigger uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC are certainly doing that uh, if I were commissioner of the ACC one thing I'd be thinking about is approaching the SEC and saying look at all the natural rivals we have rivalries we have mm-hmm. uh, in our conference why don't we start thinking about a merger and uh, because that, that's what the SEC is going to become. It's going to become the NFL, a junior NFL and that's a junior right. NBA. And there's no reason why the ACC shouldn't jump in there and take advantage of those natural rivalries and markets. And if I were, if I were Jim Phillips, I'd be ringing Greg Sankey's phone saying, how about a merger? So a moment ago I said there's nothing so crazy it should be immediately dismissed, but <laughs> – in the after effects of saying that i will point out that i think what billis describes there specifically is so crazy it should be immediately dismissed because the problem if you're the acc and most of you are pretty well aware of this in fact most acc fans i think are pretty well aware of this that the sec may eventually have some interest in some of the acc teams but it does not have full interest in the entirety of the league much the same way the sec was only interested in oklahoma and texas from the big 12 because those were the revenue generators from that league if the sec were to ever have it its eyes in the acc and there are some who think this could be coming at some point in time sooner maybe rather than later it's not syracuse or Pitt or 
Wake Forest that the SEC has interest in. It's the Clemsons or the Florida States or the teams that have some real legitimate cachet, some real legitimate value that the SEC would potentially be interested in. And I think we all kind of understand that, that if you're going to bring out Texas and Oklahoma from the from from the Big 12, what would now stop the SEC from trying to go after the biggest programs in the ACC, the biggest programs in the Big 10 to basically say, as Jay Billis describes there, kind of an NFL junior under the sec umbrella because what you really realize is i'm trying to be kind of quick and succinct when i say this is that the college football playoff we think of it as a sporting event but it's really an organization right it's an organization that comes together to bring the rest of college football together and market a tv product that can be sold in this case to espn and from that standpoint it's really a middleman right i mean i grew up watching a bunch of tv in the 80s and the tv commercials back then were always trying to say hey we've eliminated the middleman you know basically we're able to offer you a better price because we've cut out the distributor we've cut out the middleman that's kind of a popular marketing phrase in tv commercials and you sort of get the sense through all of this that Greg Sankey kind of views the college football playoff led by Bill Hancock and, you know, the the entity that brings the other conferences together to market a product to to a television partner. You sort of get the, the, the sense that Greg Sankey kind of views that CFP organization as the middleman in this case. And boy, you sort of get the sense that maybe the future power moves by the SEC might be an attempt to essentially render the college football playoff as an organization, not as a sporting event, but as an organization, kind of render that you know irrelevant that all of a sudden now you don't need an organizing body to bring other conferences together the sec has essentially brought all the programs that matter under one roof that may be where all this is going so really quickly let me game this out for a second this is just like my total speculation and you can do with this what you will Think about like Jeff Bezos, right? How does he become the richest man in the world? Obviously, at one point in time, Amazon was a bookseller. And if you think about all the ways in which, you know, Bezos and Amazon first made money off book sales, it's not really off the Harry Potter book, right? It's not the most popular book that's out there. It's all the other books that Amazon always sold because they were the you know, the, the main distribution model for every book that was sold. And most books only sell a few copies, but Amazon sold all of those. Ultimately, it's like the long tail of distribution. Amazon selling all those books. It was actually a huge profit center, in some case, even more so than the big megawatt bestsellers that obviously ends up on everybody's uh, bookshelf. And I think the comparison to college sports on that's pretty interesting. That if you're really the ACC or Let's talk about the folks who really have the true power to actually do something here. Because, I mean, the ACC commissioner, I'm not even sure I could pick him out of a lineup anymore. It was John Swadford for a long time, and he's not there anymore. Similarly for like the Big Ten. At one point in time, Delaney, Jim Delaney, the longtime conference commissioner, was a very powerful figure in college athletics. The new Big Ten commissioner, uh, Kevin Warren, cast a much smaller shadow, at least for right now, based on the way in which that you know he really embarrassed himself during uh you know the, the, a year ago uh, uh, you know trying to cancel the, the the season then eventually having to follow suit and play a season after other leagues led the way it's fairly obvious that warren right now is not a substantial figure the way that delaney was before him or other figures you know that, that exist around college athletics i mean if you're looking to have a response to the sec right now it seems like to my mind, and maybe you could think of somebody else, there are really only a couple of people in college athletics right now, powerful enough, you know, uh, uh, ambitious enough to even have any response to this whatsoever. I would say that Jack Swarbrick, maybe the Notre Dame athletic director, might be an example of that because of the weight that he throws around. I would say Hancock, Bill Hancock, the uh, college football playoff uh, executive director, might be an example of that because he kind of already has some inroads made there.
But if anybody's going to respond to the SEC whatsoever, it would seem like it's maybe one of those couple of guys that I just mentioned. And maybe it's not like an SEC or ACC merger. And then once again, this is just my speculation. This is me just kind of gaming this out. It almost seems like the rest of college football together might want to <laughs> unite with themselves as a way of trying to freeze out the SEC, the way that Isaiah Thomas once tried to freeze out uh, Michael Jordan in an NBA All-Star game. That maybe the only hope for the rest of college athletics is to say, okay, much like the long tail made Amazon a lot of money, we're going to get together and we're going to put every other Division One school under the same roof and we're going to try to say, hey, we've got all this strength in numbers. You know, we've got all these programs, including a few flagships like Notre Dame or USC or you know Clemson, whatever else. And that's maybe the only response there actually is to the SEC. Otherwise, you've essentially ceded control of the sport over to Greg Sankey in the uh, power move that's been made here. I think that anything is is a possibility seemingly at this point in time. These are fascinating times in which we live. These are obvious changes that are coming. I've told you before, I'm not quite so sure they're changes for the better, but at this point in time, there may just not be, and it certainly seems like there's nothing that can be done to stop it. But I do think how the rest of college football outside the current uh, description of the SEC, including the soon-to-be addition of Texas and Oklahoma, how they respond to all of this and what they do to protect their right to exist in future years, uh, that is going to be the story to come, and it seems like it's going to be coming sooner rather than later. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Also, many of you enjoying the show right there at the top of the page, dognation.com. We really appreciate you watching that there. Of course, as a podcast and all the podcast players and on the radio with our friends at Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, we air there at noon each and every day. It is just great to be with you, and a big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia for making it all possible you know they are experts when it comes to foundation waterproofing issues these are important things for a homeowner to think about especially when you realize just how rainy our summer has been and i think for many of you when those heavy rains come i think that you get the sense that that little pit in your stomach those little butterflies show up because you know there's a chance that when that rain is done you're going to walk around your house in the garage and down to the basement maybe the crawl space you're going to see evidence of water intrusion and you know that means the kind of thing that needs to be fixed and maybe you've put off doing that my advice to you is not to put that off any longer the same thing for you when you see those cracks in the walls there as well you know foundation issues are important you're talking about the structural integrity of your home which is for most of us the most important investment that we have protecting that matters that's why Engineered Solutions of Georgia is such an easy recommendation for me to make to you. They're also proud partners of UGA, which makes them fun to do business with, with longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. So they will do good work for you, and it feels good to support them. And if you're dealing with those foundation or waterproofing issues, sooner rather than later is the thing you got to really think about when it comes to all of this. So please give them a call. It's 678-ESOG-NOW. That's the number to dial, 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, it is a very busy show for us. Coming up in just a couple of moments, we're going to talk to Connor Riley. We'll get in with him about everything going on with uh, Georgia football here today. We'll dive into all of that. Connor has written some interesting things at dognation.com that actually fairly well coincide with some of the stuff that we've also been talking about on the show in recent days. That'll make for a good conversation about kind of how some of those preseason projections that are out there from Georgia, I'm talking about the official stuff as tabulated by the SEC, gives you a little bit of a hint about the consensus related to uh, Georgia right now. 
now. So we'll do a lot of that with Connor Riley here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. Really happy to have them with us and uh, happy to have them presenting around the doghouse to us here today. And as I mentioned a moment ago, when it comes to some of the stuff that Connor's written about that he and I will talk about before. I do this show from the perspective of a Georgia fan. I'm a person who cheers for Georgia to win games. I'm a person that wants good things to happen for Georgia. And so certain things that I say on this show, the the I guess the the opinion is shaped by the fact that I have a desired outcome in all of this. I, I'd like to see Georgia win. I'd like to see Georgia ho- hoist a championship trophy at the end of the season. And so as someone who wants that to be the case, I have to say that I'm a little bit concerned right now. And we've said this now going back for months. But if you look at the early projections for Georgia's most talented players, that the early projections, whether it's the initial run of mock drafts that came out in the winter or around the time of the NFL draft for you know the 2023, uh, I should say the 2022 NFL draft, or if you look at the preseason all-SEC lists that have come out most recently as last week there at SEC Media Days, the one thing that you don't quite see right now is a level of prediction that would suggest that Georgia is about to win the national championship. But if you look at the ways in which great teams are formed, and this seems like an overly simplistic or an overly elementary point, but it happens to be true, that great teams are made up by great players, players having dominant individual seasons, and you add those together collectively, that becomes the formation of a great team. That that great teams have half dozen first-round picks. In the SEC, they have a half dozen first-team all-SEC performance. It's very, very hard to be a first team all sec performer you have to be very very uh, you have to have a very successful season to kind of be in that group and right now it sort of seems like on the basis of the preseason projections that Georgia's not quite there now the good news is and you already know this preseason projections are often wrong the early mock drafts have a tendency to be off by magnitudes in terms of who actually ends up being selected among the first 32 picks in the following nfl draft and the media is just not very accurate with its predictions either so the preseason first team all SEC could end up just not being not not being a, a great reflection of what the end of season list looks like. But if Georgia's going to break through and actually win an SEC championship this year, get back to the college football playoff, um, you know, win a national championship, then that's going to have to happen. A lot of guys right now who are not projected to be first team All SEC are going to have to break through in a big way. And same thing for NFL draft success and everything else. So that's a concern that I have, and I, I kind of expressed that a little bit on yesterday's show. However, let me give you kind of a counterbalance to that for a moment. Here is one of the things that I do think is really, I I guess, confidence affirming for Georgia for this upcoming season. A lot of folks have kind of wondered, well, does Kirby Smart really get it? Does he really know what national champions have have looked like in recent years? Is, Is he ready to change the way that he needs to? That's one of the questions that gets asked a lot. And I think that a couple of times here over the course of this offseason, a lot of this was last week at SEC Media Days, you see Smart saying things that for any doubter that may exist out there of how well Smart truly understands what, what college football looks like, what the national championship formula is as of late, I think you see some pretty clear evidence from Smart based on the things that he's saying that he obviously knows the profile these national champions have developed over the last couple of years. And over the course of the next couple of days in the show, I'm going to try to identify a few of these statements that Smart has made that ought to give a Georgia fan confidence about the upcoming season, including this on the offense here for a moment. So let me set this up. 
So at SEC Media Days last week, during Smart's kind of big room press conference, he was asked a question about JT Daniels. And the question goes along something along the lines of, does JT Daniels have the kind of arm talent to lead Georgia to a national championship? And Smart answers on Daniels, but listen to the way that Smart pivots that uh, comment there as well. It starts off being about Daniels. It ends the answer being about something that's sort of different. And the way that Smart kind of pivots during this answer i think provides a clue that smart's mindset right now for what a national championship team needs to look like i think it's 100 percent dialed in listen to kirby smart for yourself and see if you notice what i do here's kirby from last week absolutely he has that arm talent i actually don't think that arm talent is the number one quality for being a great quarterback there's a lot that goes into being an elite quarter quarterback the two guys that were the last two years national champions they were really good quarterbacks. They were great decision makers. They were actually better athletes than people give them credit for. The decision-making process, touchdown to interception ratio, protecting the ball, um, using your playmakers, which both had really good playmakers around them. JT has those skill sets. You know, Coach Munkin has that experience doing it in the NFL. I mean, with Tampa Bay, they led the league in, in passing. So he has, we have the, the recipe for those things. we got to stay healthy. we got to protect the quarterback. And we got to find some more skill players to make plays for us. I love what he says there at the end. We've got to find more skilled players to make plays for us. Let me tie this back in briefly to what I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, that right now, if you're the kind of person that wants Georgia to win a national championship, you have to understand that currently there aren't enough Georgia players being projected to have great seasons. First team on SEC, potential first-round picks. There aren't currently enough of those projections out there to make you feel like that Georgia is at the top of the list of national championship contenders. It's near the top of the list, but not at the very top because of the way in which individual players are currently projected for UGA. But when you hear a coach say that in addition to our quarterback, who we believe has elite arm talent, we need to cultivate skill position players. I would say that my optimistic assessment of the situation for Georgia is that is a coach speaking there who understands that those kinds of great individual performances must be cultivated. And it seems like on the base of what Kirby Smart said there, that Georgia's very dialed in on doing that. That that there's no shortage of guys who could break out, even if it's not obvious to say who those guys definitely will be, whether it's Jermaine Burton or Arian Smith or Darnell Washington or Eric Gilbert or on and on you go in discussing this, that it seems like from Kirby Smart, he knows that if we want to look like what Alabama looked like last year and what LSU looked like the year before, then we've got to get busy right now and have been busy over the, the previous months of cultivating the kind of skill position players that can resemble that so that when the all-SEC list is published, the one that matters at the end of the year, there are a lot more Georgia guys on that first-team list at the end of the year than there are right now at the beginning. I thought that was really good stuff from Kirby Smart. That's Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. And, of course, Georgia's own credit union invites you to take advantage of a really cool thing they're doing with the Georgia's own Visa Signature and Platinum Cards. This is an unbelievable opportunity for you there with my friends at Georgia's own because it offers you contactless payments which is very convenient also you can get flex rewards that can be really used for anything gift cards travel uh, merchandise uh, cash back if you want that also as an extra bonus you can also earn up to 150 dollars when you open a new platinum or signature card so please check out this website it's georgesown.org that's georgesown.org and you can find out more about that today great to have around the doghouse presented to us today by georgia's own credit union very busy on the program here today we'll look at some interesting news around the sec later on including a couple of uh, recruiting notes that georgia fans should be paying close attention to 
but for now on everything related to where things stand with the conference expansion and just exactly where things stand for georgia ahead of the start of practice is just a few days away now let's do all of that and more with uh connor riley it's a kroger fresh take here on dog nation daily hope you enjoy that and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, a lot to do with Connor Riley here. So much happening around uh, college football. And as I said, I'll open up the show. When you think about the future of SEC expansion, Texas and Oklahoma coming in, uh, an unimaginable story just really even a few years ago, maybe even a few months ago. And all of a sudden, it's a very quick pivot to, and now what crazy thing is going to happen next? And at this point, almost anything seems possible. Uh, Connor, I don't believe you and I have had a chance to talk about this. So let me, I guess, start open-ended. We'll kind of work our way into all of this as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here today. Um, I guess the facts on the ground, Texas and Oklahoma could officially petition for SEC membership here on this Tuesday as we're broadcasting this show. And we could hear official news, you know, soon, quickly after that. But just big picture, what do you think about the Texas and the Oklahoma move and kind of how all this is playing out? BA, in the time that our show has started, in the time since Around the Doghouse started, the facts on the ground have changed. And we'll pull up a statement right here. Oh, please. Thank you. This is a. This is from Commissioner Greg Sankey. And I understand this might be a little hard to read on the screen. So I'm going to pull it up and read it here for you. Uh, give me one second. It is being slow to load. I can read it off this if you want me to. Here we go. I got it. Okay. The university from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. The University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas today submitted formal requests for invitation to become conference members of the Southeastern Conference in 2025. While the SEC has not proactively sought new members, we will pursue significant change when there is clear consensus among our members that such ac- actions will further enrich the experiences of our student athletes and lead to greater academic and athletic achievement across our campuses. The presidents and chancellors of the SEC, in their capacity as the conference's chief executive officers, will consider these requests in the near future. Per the bylaws of the SEC, a vote of at least three-fourths of the SEC's 14 members is required to expand an invitation for membership. Okay, so there you go. So this, if it wasn't already real enough, it gets even more real throughout all of this. And thank you for the update from Greg Sankey right there with, with the official statement. I mean, it's fascinating to me how quickly all this is happening. And it's also fascinating with me, fascinating to me, the ways in which that the public at large responds to this by immediately pivoting to what's coming next and the general assumption not just from average fans but fairly plugged in media people that something just as big as this is going to happen very very soon on the heels of that 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 we seem to be kind of addicted to change now and that that change seems to begat even more change what well, these are these are these are odd times in which we live connor i have a question please you remember back in what was it, April, uh, the Super League over in Europe, uh, where where the top teams, you know, the six London or the six England teams, and then a couple of teams from Italy, Spain as well, were going to come together and form a league of just right. the best, biggest money makers in the continent and informally where they were only going to play each other and you were going to have a few teams rotate in and out, but for the most part, those fifteen teams that made it up to start were never going to be able to leave, and then fans revolted and people were upset. People did not like this. And there was great pushback to it, and it ended up not happening. I'm curious why there doesn't seem to be pushback to this idea, because I think this is absolutely horrific for college football as a whole. Maybe not necessarily for the SEC, because the the SEC does stand to benefit from it, and these schools are going to make a lot of money. 
but this is bad for college football, in my opinion. There's no way around it. This is just going to, again, turn it into a triple A AAA version of the NFL. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I mean, I've, I've said this time and time again, the NFL is just better football than college football. If you're watching for football, you're not really watching college football, in my opinion. I watch college football because I enjoy the traditions. I enjoy the randomness and the weirdness of it. And if you're just going to cobble together the 24 best institu- institutions, a.k.a. football programs in the country, and yeah. get them to play each other, that takes away from a little bit from me from what the sport is, and I believe it should be. Yeah, I don't think it's good for the sport either. We, we should point out that you and I are really kind of from different generations. It's interesting that you and I both agree with this, that I think that – look, I think that college football – it's so special to me and there's so many people like me who it's so special if you start picking at the fabric that holds this sport together it's almost like cutting wires in the back of an electrical device you know you can accidentally cut the wrong wire at some point in time and all of a sudden the thing that made the sport special it just kind of disappears and through all of this change i am pretty concerned about that and you know i'm left to wonder well, what is the thing that could potentially stop this? And as I suggested before, and I know this kind of stuff can be almost kind of hard to follow, and I, I hope I'm speaking this in, in as clear and concise a fashion as I possibly can, but it's almost like at this point in time that if you're not one of these 16 teams that's about to be in the SEC, your only hope is banding everybody together as a way of hopefully freezing out the SEC so that, what would that be, 100 whatever institutions or really like 50 or 60 that mm-hmm. probably truly matter from that? that hopefully that you could build a entity of 50 or 60 schools, whatever the exact number is, that's valuable enough to make the other 16 big power programs down the SEC feel like they were left out and, and kind of form some sort of competitive entity around that. Because let me just say this here really quickly. A lot of folks look at the, the leftover schools in the Big 12 and say, well, it's Iowa State, it's Oklahoma State, it's Texas Tech. These aren't you know very big programs, comparatively speaking. But collectively added together across the country, that adds up to a lot of college football fans. It's the long tail that I was talking about before. The NCAA tournament's the perfect example of this. College basketball, generally speaking, is nowhere near as popular as it once was, and certainly not on the radar of college football. But the NCAA tournament is still worth billions of dollars as a television entity because across the entire country, there are people everywhere that care about it. And that's kind of the thing that college football the rest of college football that's not the sec could do as a response to this to say well if we all band together then we have something that's actually national in scope and you know features you know some things the sec can't quite say that it has going for it that may be the only response here i think back to the sankey statement we read a few a few seconds ago uh he emphasized enriching the experiences of the student athletes and one of the things that has been discussed about this, and this is something that I've focused a lot on, is is what these Texas and Oklahoma in, inductions, which is what is going to happen. This is this is a done deal. I said it on Thursday. You don't get this far down the road with yeah. it to blow up at the last second. I would expect it to be a 14-0 clean sweep uh, vote for there to be inclusion of Oklahoma and Texas into this. So with the schedule, the SEC is going to have an opportunity to, I believe, right some of the wrongs that currently exist. You know, They can expand and keep the division format and – or they can go to the pod schedule. What is better for student-athletes? And let's just focus on Georgia because that is the program we both cover in, in your case you're for. Yeah. Playing Mississippi State every other year or playing Auburn every single year? Because if you go to the pod system and one of the pods that has been predominantly put forth was one put out by the SEC, yeah. Georgia and Auburn aren't in the same pod. And they've played, dating back to 1919, all but one time, and that time was in 1943 in the middle of the Second World War. 
Is it worth forsaking all that tradition, all that has made college football special, that rivalry in particular, for a couple extra, for more millions of dollars going to the university itself? But here's the problem, though, and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute because you and I are mostly in agreement on this, but let me, as a way of just keeping the conversation. Embracing debate. Yeah, let me embrace debate here for a moment. One of the big problems I have is, and if you'll ever notice, every now and then I'll, I don't want to say I chastise Georgia fans for this, but I point this out is that the games that used to matter seem to matter less than they used to. Georgia-Tennessee is a really good example. Oh, irrelevant. Yeah, Georgia-Tennessee used to be a very big rivalry, and now the average Georgia fan, especially Georgia fans in their 20s, just don't see this as a very big game anymore because Tennessee's not very good. Perhaps that's understandable if, you don't, if you're not old enough to remember when Tennessee was good, but that's an evolution that's taken place. Georgia-Auburn means the world to me. As much as I do you know, talk about the Gator haters and Georgia-Florida and everything else, that's not to say that I don't view Georgia-Auburn as this pivotal game on the Georgia schedule for the entirety of my, of, of my life. I'm 40-ish. You know, the, the people who, were, um, who are younger than me, though, once again, I don't think they see the same value in Georgia-Auburn that someone who was a kid, a child in the 1980s, kind of sees that as being. So... I think there are lots of Georgia fans who, for better or for worse, won't see an obvious loss in not playing Auburn every single year. I think there are a lot of Georgia fans who would say a rotational schedule so that's Ole Miss every now and then and not Auburn every single year. I think there are a lot of Georgia fans for whom that would be just fine. But isn't the point of having leaders, of having adults, to make sure that you don't eat cookies and ice cream all the time? I would think so. Yeah. I, I, I think ha- these leaders, these these chancellors and presidents, who do they serve? Are they serving the, the people that attend their school, that are alumni of their school, or are they just serving to make as much money as they can and run these colleges as business? Mm-hmm. It, because if it's the latter, then I certainly understand this move because it's going to make them more money. I'll be interested to see what the television contract becomes of this. But at the same point in time, I just think the student experience is worse off if, and sure, playing Oklahoma and playing Texas will be cool, but more often than not, this before even ever getting into the on-field football ramifications of any of this, I just worry it's going to continue to dilute the the product of college football down. I agree with you. I think that you're right. I I think that I think that ten years from now, I think we may look at back at this and say this was the beginning of the end of something that we all love. Which is not to say that college football is going to go away and disappear, but sports can become less popular and. I think this is one of those things that is an obvious move if you have a chance with this power grab or this money grab, but eventually it kind of leaves everybody a little worse off for having done so. This feels like an example of that. But once again, to play devil's advocate for a moment, this is about to be Kirby Smart's, what, sixth season at Georgia? Correct. I can only think of one season in the Smart era where the average Georgia fan going into the year thought that Georgia was playing a good home schedule. And that was 2019 when Notre Dame was coming in and Texas A&M was coming in for the first time as an SEC member. Every other year, 16, 17, 18, certainly last year, although last year was a very weird year because of the pandemic, there were common complaints at the beginning of the year of the Georgia home schedule is awful. So to play devil's advocate for a moment, an example of something that could possibly, you know, maybe things will actually end up being better than I assume they will be with throughout all of this. An example where things could get better is, just given the fact that lots of Georgia fans complain about the quality of the home schedule, there's a chance that the home schedule year in and year out gets better because of this because maybe Texas and Oklahoma are coming here more frequently than 
you know, highly ranked teams are currently coming here. You know, it just so happens the SEC East has been down now for a number of years compared to what it was in the 90s. That means there aren't a lot of preseason top 25 teams in the SEC East in a given year. And so the Georgia home schedule gets hurt because of that. Maybe this provides an improvement for that. Well, I would point out one that, and again, you know, again, this is just all for argument's sake here. We are both on the same side. Mm -hmm. One, we know the home schedule, unfortunately, it's not going to happen in the later part of the decade because of the way scheduling is done in college football, for as confusing as it is, it's going to get better when you do welcome a Clemson, a Texas, an Oklahoma, an Ohio State to Sanford Stadium. And that's going to start happening on a yearly basis. And secondly, while, yes, I understand the point that you make about the home schedule being bad, would you sacrifice that? home schedule being bad if it meant Georgia was losing at home more often because they're playing a better Tennessee team a a really good uh, Auburn team that the last time that won in Sanford Stadium I was 11 years old so would you be willing to sacrifice some of that that's an answer to the question I don't know and and it sounds cool to say yeah let's have a great home schedule and win but they're come with trade-offs with that as well yeah that's true for me personally i would be willing to accept more losses for a better schedule and i've kind of felt that way when it comes to like fcs and f you know uh what do you call them like group of five level opponents for quite some time here's one more thing on the devil's advocate part of this and then i want to uh get some other opinions from you on some other topics as much as i'm against this i have to admit like i'm i'm very much against this but there is an aspect of this that's pretty intriguing to me if there was a pod that included Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. I think that's a better scenario for those four schools than what currently exists because Arkansas has been in the SEC since the early 90s, and it has never really quite felt like an SEC team because it's so far removed. I mean, I drove to Fayetteville uh, this past September. (laughs) That's a long way away from Athens, Georgia. And because of that, Arkansas has never quite felt like as much part of the SEC. Arkansas people hate Texas, hate Texas. I think everyone hates Texas. That's good football. Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M. Like, I don't want a 16-team SEC, but if a 16-team SEC results in those four teams playing each other every single year, those are games that I would very much enjoy watching. And I'd have to say for a school like Arkansas that needs a little bit more of an identity, even Texas A&M right now that absent its yearly rivalry with Texas has sort of lost a little bit of its identity, I I think that'd be a rising tide that would lift all four of those programs. Would you be more inclined? You're much more of an SEC generalist, I would say, than mm. I am. Would you be more inclined to watch Texas and Oklahoma on a week in, week out basis if they were officially members of the SEC? I think that I would. I mean, within 10 years, they'd just feel like any other. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you'd get more used to it. But in the early stages, especially because Oklahoma, while they're not the most Big 12 team, you know, like, you know, they yeah. use tight end some and they are starting to play a little more defense they have certainly represented the archetype of what Big 12 football is all about. So in the early stages, that would be fascinating. This, you know, We've always wondered, well, what would it look like if Oklahoma's playing an SEC defense every single year, every single Saturday? Well, we're about to find that out potentially. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for those SEC defenses on a regular basis trying to stop Oklahoma. We'd be about to find out how those immovable forces and uh, unmovable objects, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, how, that, how that confrontation would look like on a week-in, week-out basis. So I'm not for it. I hope it doesn't happen. I, I, I hope that there's something that steps up to kind of change some of this. doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. But even someone like me who is as against it as someone can be, there are aspects of this that would be fascinating to me. Uh, just a couple of sort of uh, tying the knot on, on this. 
Interesting that the statement notes in 2025, that is when they are expected to join the conference. I've done the math on this. Okay, I've read other people doing math on right, this. Yeah, exactly. It's about $76 million to for Texas and Oklahoma to essentially buy their way out of the current uh, television contract. When Missouri and Texas A&M did that all the way back in 2011, it was about half of that and around, I believe, like the $36 yeah. million range. So that television contract that they are currently in might keep them in the Big 12 for a little bit longer. But I would still be pretty surprised if it's 2025 and they're still in – the Big 12 at that point in time. Completely agree. This is speculation on my part, but I believe that part of the negotiation means you have to show a willingness to stay in 2025 in the hope they'll say, we actually don't want you to stay that long because the moment the Big 12 says, it's actually bad for us to have you here as a lame duck, there is a line of thought that all of a sudden the buyout price goes down at that Mm -hmm. point in time. Or, I mean, I hate to say it's so crass but if you're oklahoma and texas you could also just sit there and hope the big 12 just dissolves and you have no one to pay that exit fee to and then you could get out that way but i'd be very surprised if this if, if oklahoma and texas are not in the sec officially well before 2025 can i give you a theory a quick one here please so bill hancock has come out and said he's the executive director of the college football playoff there will not be any changes made to the college football playoff until after next season the 22 mm-hmm. 2022 2023 season who was involved in drafting the uh, on the exploration committee of the college football playoff expansion? That would be Greg Sankey. Mm-hmm. He absolutely knew all of this was going on. I fundamentally believe that we're going to see college football playoff changes and Texas Oklahoma all sort of happen in that same 2023-2024 season. Again, reckless speculation there, but the way the math is lined up on all this and the way Greg Sankey is so prominently involved in both Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and college football playoff expansion, that's what sort of leads me to believe those two things will intersect. Very quickly here for a moment, this is deep in the weeds, but I am fascinated by your opinion. I believe there are only two individuals right now powerful enough to potentially counterbalance what Greg Sankey has done in orchestrating all of this. I believe it's Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, and I believe it's potentially Bill Hancock because he kind of already has everybody's cell phone number as it is as the leader of the college football playoff. I don't believe an ACC or Big Ten commissioner has that kind of power right now. If if there's going to be any kind of movement to match the SEC – I think it would have to come from either Swarbrick or Hancock. Do you agree with that? In the last two years, Pac-12's gotten a new conference commissioner. ACC's gotten a new conference commissioner. Big Ten has gotten a new conference commissioner. Game of Thrones political savviness here, thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. Greg Sankey saw a power opportunity because he did not think that the other people would be established enough in their jobs to sort of make the moves that needed to be made to prevent something like this from happening. And so I absolutely believe, to your point, that there's just a power vacuum of people who could really slow this down or back this up. And if you're Jack Swarbrick, I absolutely believe Notre Dame will be the last team to enter a conference. They enjoy their independence. That matters to them. I think it allows them to play a tougher schedule than they would play in a potential conference and and grants them more exposure because of it. So while I believe Jack Swarbrick does have some sway in how this all can go down, and I would point out he was also on the exploratory, and I've butchered that word so many times today, but he was also on that same committee with Greg Sankey exploring the uh, playoff expansion process. So those two probably have talked about this. I believe Notre Dame is going to be the last team to 
the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, of when this expansion or conference realignment is all said and done, they'll be the final piece of the puzzle with drop-in. You don't have to worry about butchering a word. I put about four extra syllables in hyperbole a little earlier, so that's the way it all goes down. This is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily here today. Coming up in a moment, before we wrap up with Connor, I'll also announce our Kroger uh, uh, five-star kid winner for today. We'll do that coming up, but I want to remind you when it comes to our friends at Kroger, the great things they have going on right now, including a big hiring event to get folks ready for back to work as they're going back to school there as well a good job is important that's what kroger has going for you so i want to make sure i give you all the details about this it's this upcoming friday it's july 30th from 12 p.m to 5 p.m interviews are going to take place in person um at uh at kroger stores kroger's offering a new competitive pay and benefits package that's a really cool thing all departments uh this is especially for overnight stocking grocery pickup and uh those perishable service departments so those are the areas which kroger has specific needs but this upcoming Friday, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., big hiring event taking place at your local Kroger store. So stop by and see that for more details on that. And as I said before, before we're done, when we wrap up with Connor, we'll give you our Kroger five-star kid winner for today. We've had some great submissions on that. Can't wait to celebrate that. Uh, Connor, I've gone along with you, so let me try to move on here and just touch on one more subject here really quick. You and I are seemingly of a similar mindset. It's something I've talked about a lot and something you've written about. That on the basis of who's projected by Georgia to be a first-team All-SEC, or if you want to start looking at mock drafts, which we talked about a couple of months ago, there aren't enough Georgia players right now projected to have great seasons to make Georgia a likely team to win the national championship. Now, the positive side of this is these projections are frequently wrong in the preseason, but if you're a Georgia fan, you better hope they're wrong this year. or Otherwise, the Georgia results, second best in the SEC, fifth best in the country, that seems likely to repeat itself once again, does it not? Georgia needs more stars. It does. Point not and not recruiting stars. They need legitimate stars. People that in other conferences know, oh, that guy's really good. Mm-hmm. LSU had seven players make either the coaches or media AP first team team when they won the national title in 2019. Alabama last year had nine. Georgia needs to get in that seven, eight, nine range if they're going to end up winning the SEC and potentially from there the national championship because two, and one of them being your punter, is not nearly going to be enough to take down an Alabama or a Texas A&M if they are able to do it, whoever that second-best team is. And further than that, win the college football playoff-type games, you have to win. They need Just point blank, and this is something you and I, again, have talked about. I've mentioned it on my own stuff a bunch of times. They just need more stars, and I understand rotating guys and playing guys a lot. Jermaine Johnson may have made a pretty valid point when he said, look, I just want to play more and yeah. build up myself. Because while, yes, you want to have a team-first mentality, you also pretty clearly need guys that are able to dominate on a play-by-play basis. So here's the positive spin on this for me. You know, When I hear Kirby Smart at SEC Media Day saying, yeah, we got the quarterback, we just got to make sure we have the playmakers around him. That's what you'd want a coach to say for a team that needs to do that. Celebrity, household name type players, the kind of player that kids in other SEC markets know a lot about, building up those kinds of names. I thought smart at SEC media days, even if some of it was kind of under his breath, he spoke like a guy that understands that he's got to have the kind of explosive offense and dynamic defense that cultivates those kinds of names. I actually like what Kirby is saying in regards to that mission being paramount if George is going to break through this season. I, th- I think Kirby, in the, in the past couple of years, really since that loss to LSU in the 2019 SEC championship game, he's understood the assignment. He knows what has to be done, what type of players you need, what type of personnel you need. 
to win. It, it's just, and again, 2020 was an extremely strange season. They made a lot of changes in the offseason, and then a pandemic interrupts all that and sort of delays it a season. So I, Kirby has said, I, I think, in my opinion, all the right things. It just needs to go out and be executed on the field to finally go out there and see it and put to question any of re- any rest of, well, does Kirby truly understand what it takes to, to win in a modern college football age? Because here's the problem. It, it's it, it's a lot more than just saying, okay, now we're going to do what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to build this great offense. We're going to build this dynamic defense. We're going to sack quarterbacks all the time. That kind of stuff's just really hard to do. Yeah. Like, even with elite recruits, turning them into what Jamar Chase was for LSU a couple of years ago or what – you know any number of Alabama players have been it's just hard it's just I don't care what you're starting with in terms of the raw materials the natural resources of the talent that a player has still making them into a a, a household name superstar type player that's just not an easy thing to do like so many other aspects I think Alabama has tricked a lot of people into making it seem much easier than it actually is I think if you look at the national average of guys who go from five-star players into either All-Americans or first-round draft picks, it is much lower than what Alabama has been able to do, which really just speaks to the greatness that Nick Saban has been able to cultivate there. A lot of five-stars for George looking to break out this year. Speaking of five-stars, it's such a fun week for us here because we get a chance each day this week to announce our Kroger five-star kid winner. Great collection of gift cards, $100 to Kroger, $50 to Amazon, $50 to Domino's, $50 to Dick's Sporting Goods. It's a tremendous, tremendous uh, thing we're able to give away. And we've got a great winner today. Congratulations to Jaden McNair for being our winner. Uh, one of our Kroger Five Star Kid Gift Pack winners. Jaden's first words were Go Dogs. You love that. 11 year old star student making A's and B's. Uh, also helping out at home, take care of his two sisters. Uh, uh, dreaming of one day leading Georgia to the national championship. That's a really cool thing to be able to see. Uh, wants to win the Heisman there as well. Family describes kind, caring, selfless, extremely polite. Congratulations to Jaden for being one of our Kroger Five Star winners. Great looking picture there on the screen too for uh, Jaden. Uh, really good stuff all the way around. Congratulations for being one of our Kroger five-star winners. And Connor, thanks so much for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take here today. Yep, as always, was a pleasure, BA. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC yeah, I mean, these are fascinating times around college football. And, you know, you have like these two stories kind of running concurrent to each other. You've got college football changing under our feet at the very moment. And you've also got Georgia, who's trying to take advantage of the moment we're still in. Because it's funny, I think one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of Georgia fans are left wondering how to feel about all of this, and you hear more negativity than, you know, negativity than positivity. I think part of that's just based on the fact that a Georgia fan says, I can't worry about what college football is going to look like four years from now. I'm trying to exploit an opportunity here in the year of 2021, or at least, you know, figuratively speaking, trying to do that, you know, watching the team uh, do that here for this upcoming season. I think that's where the mindset of a lot of Georgia fans are is, hey, before college football changes too much, can we just win a national championship in the current format that it's in? I think that's where a lot of Georgia fans kind of find themselves right now, and I certainly understand all of that when you think about the uh, upcoming year. Hey, before we uh, roll through the rest of our SEC through, let me also give a quick shout-out to my friends at Meriwether & Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. They'll walk you step-by-step step through the process, but they can also give you free resources before you even make the decision to hire Meriwether & Tharp to be your advocate through your divorce process. Free blog post, podcast, everything else, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's the website, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether & Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. All right, uh, SEC through time now. I want to run through some of this. So 
there's a little bit of interesting discussion out there about the fact that Walter Nolan, the five-star defensive uh, tackle, has transferred new high school in the city of Knoxville, the state of Tennessee. And obviously, a lot of Tennessee fans have taken this run with this as a way of saying, well, that just proves how much of a player Tennessee is for Nolan services now that he's in Knoxville. <laughs> I would point out that Tennessee keeping players even in Knoxville going to the University of Tennessee has not been the easiest thing in the world. I mean, I know that Cade Mays plays for Tennessee again now, but the fact that he was from Knoxville when he was first coming out of high school, that wasn't enough to win that recruiting battle the first time around. So this idea that all of a sudden Tennessee has some huge home court advantage in Nolan's recruitment because he's going to be going to high school there in Knoxville, I would suggest that history shows you that Tennessee shouldn't count any recruiting battle as an easy win, not even the ones for the players who live there in Knoxville. No SEC team has done worse in closing its own borders than Tennessee has anyway. I know there were some online chatter about this initially, you know, some predictions of uh, of no one's uh, no one to the Vols because of this move. I honestly, if I had to guess, and we'll talk to Jeff Sintel more about this later on this week, but if I had to guess, I'm guessing that this doesn't, move the needle on the Nolan recruitment all that way you know much one way or the other uh I, I just don't think Josh Heupel's got the recruiting chops to pull a guy like like Walter Nolan I, I just don't think he does I mean Walter Nolan could go to high school on the Tennessee campus and I don't think that changed that for me this is not the kind of recruiting battle right now that Heupel has the capability of winning I don't care how much of a home court advantage you give him save the tape if you want to and you can laugh at me later on and this proves to be wrong but this is not the kind of uh, weight class that Tennessee fights in, at least in the moment, if I had to uh, make a uh, projection on that. I did see some interesting chatter as of late involving Anai White. Uh, you know, we said on Friday's show, I think it was Friday's show, that that's one of those names that you'd like to see a little more movement and you know chatter related to the Bulldogs. I know Anai's been talking on Twitter about taking a, a UGA visit, so that's maybe a step in that direction, although as of now, that's probably, you know, s- still something that you'd like to see grow a little more than it currently is but that was kind of the latest there on that weird news coming to the sec and that jim sturt the missouri athletic director has only been on the job for a couple of years has announced that he's moving on from that job and he's actually going to be out the moment missouri can find a replacement this is one of those things i have no opinion about whatsoever because i literally have no idea why this is going down I think even the people in Columbia were caught off guard by this. You know, it's always interesting how news travels, even with when it comes to official reports. There's still a little bit of a rumor mill that Columbia, Missouri, a couple hundred miles away from here, by the time news gets to the friendly confines of our dog Nature World Headquarters studios, hard to say what's really going on. So there are good reporters there around the Missouri program. We'll hear more about this in the days to come. But a little bit strange to see Sterk uh, uh leaving a job that i don't think anybody necessarily thought he was going to be leaving right now relatively short tenured for a missouri athletic program also after a lot of turmoil on the missouri campus for for a good while it seems like that's mostly stabilized the missouri athletic program seems like it had stabilized a little bit there too so i guess we'll see the future on that here's one way you can know that the sec is heading for expansion with oklahoma and texas if you didn't already know that for sure you have league schools already starting their trolling efforts you know people make a big deal about lane kiffin on twitter the truth is the actual official old miss accounts are typically pretty good on social media there as well they put out a good tweet the other day i think i have this i can show it to you on the screen uh going with the it just means more and you see old miss uh against oklahoma having some success and then against texas kind of doing the same thing so the old miss account already kind of getting in and getting involved with this in terms of uh, showing some success against the sooners and the longhorns from the past which is i think it's kind of funny on that i also would say that 
it's really schools like Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you know, programs that are in the West, smaller. The state of Mississippi is a small state. The Rebels and Bulldogs have to split the state, which is a challenge. If you want to start making a list of the schools in the SEC that are hurt the most by the expansion, you got to look squarely at those two Mississippi schools as the number one example of that, right? Because, I mean, these are already schools of relatively small stature as it is made even smaller now by gigantic schools like texas and powerful schools resourced programs like oklahoma coming into the sec so interesting to see uh, the rebels firing that salvo there just knowing the challenges they're kind of already dealing with one more quick note uh, sean murphy's a four-star linebacker i think from the state of virginia uh he has made his pledge to the university of alabama so alabama picks up a big name there for the class of 2022 this is like a top 40-ish type recruit four-star linebacker uh sean murphy does commit to alabama so the crimson tide pick up a win there will make that your sec through and as we wrap up here today uh gator hater roll call i will say this i've been running around like crazy the last few days i'm very behind on my twitter mentions i've gotten some great golden shoe submissions and i'm going to be giving a lot of winners their due on this show coming up the days ahead so stay patient with me just for a little bit if you don't mind i had just had crazy last couple of days a great day yesterday too by the way got a chance to be east lake golf club uh obviously they're getting ready for the tour championship coming up here tremendous pga tour event championship event to close out uh the golfing year in the city of atlanta that's always a really fun thing to do they're also doing some great things in the community there uh in and around the east lake area with the first tee program i had a chance to see that up close and personal yesterday with pga tour pro uh stewart sink really really fun day yesterday great to be there for that but a very funny golden shoe today so you may have seen uh the uh uh artist da baby said that he got hit with a shoe as he was closing out his concert marco wilson came in with the joke to say my bad on that and it turned into this whole like weird twitter beef but uh seth collette sent that to me on twitter so seth will make you the golden shoe winner for today and really a good job by marco wilson uh basically having some fun at his own expense there on that so good job by marco on that gatorator countdown speaking of the lousy stinking gators just 95 days away uh georgia gets some revenge against florida we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down good to be back taking comments with you again and uh, happy to have you with us here today of course check out rs andrews online for your air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs you can find them online rsandrews.com they'll get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs make sure you find them today a couple of really good comments i want to read here duke duke weighs in on monday shows he says something that john stinchcomb said made me think about this hypothetical if four iterations of uga teams were all four uh college football playoff including the upcoming current 2021 team which four teams would make it and which one would win my picks are 2021 2020 2017 2012 and 2005 which is actually a very interesting uh entrance in all this he thinks that 2021 could win it all and i think that on paper certainly this upcoming team would seem to fare compare pretty well to most of the the teams that that georgia has recently had i don't know that i i I think i think that the 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 teams that Duke Duke selects here are pretty interesting. I mean, you can make a strong case for 2017 and 2012 to be a part of like a four-team playoff type thing here, and he's using 2021 because he wants to know how the 2021 team looks side-by-side side with that. I guess your your inclusion of 2005, it was an SEC championship team. But for me, Duke Duke, and I'd be curious of your opinion, 
I thought 2007 was actually a better team than 2005 was. Did not win the SEC, didn't even win the SEC East, but I think overall probably a better team. And if there was a true playoff at the time, I think the 2007 team would have would have had a chance to make a run in that because of how hot the team was by the end of the year. Think Florida game forward. This team really kind of got rolling after that walk-off kickoff, you know, field goal win against Vanderbilt at a time in which really Georgia's probably pretty lucky to win that game. They actually seemed to have something kind of click in and, 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 and connect with that team, and they were off and running after that. So I might replace 2005 with 2007, and if we do that, I'd say – 2017 is probably still the best of the bunch. I would say 2017 is better than 2012, and I'd say uh, 2017 would be better than the uh, 2017 may have been, your conclusion of 2005. And so now you're really comparing the 2017 Georgia team to the 2021 Georgia team, and boy, side by side, that's pretty interesting. You know, it seems like an experienced JT Daniels ought to be a better quarterback than a freshman Jake Fromm was. Certainly statistically speaking, he'd seem to be able to do that. I think the defensive comparison is interesting because what you had in 2017 that you're not sure you have in 2021, you had the superstar player defense. We talked about that on the Today Show. You know, we had the 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 Roquan Smith year for Georgia that year that made him a household name for those who cared about college football, and that mattered for Georgia. You know, he came up big in so many of the big games that Georgia played that season. And so does this Georgia team have that kind of player? I think that is still yet to be determined. That's one of those ways in which if you're going to have the hypothetical computer simulated matchup between the two teams, finding somebody defensively who can do for Georgia this year what Roquan Smith did that year. doesn't have to be, by the way, a middle linebacker on this year's team. It just needs to be somebody who plays like a game wrecker. I think that's probably a uh, pretty big part of that. And then, obviously, the one thing that the 2017 team also had was that like just superhero tandem of running backs, Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. So the comparison for this upcoming season would be whether it is from the running back spot or maybe it's a tandem of wide receivers who you know do something big. You've got to have those, as Kirby Smart said at SEC Media Days and the audio we play during today's show, you've got to have dynamic playmakers who also emerge there as well. It can be backs toting the rock or it can be receivers catching the football, but it's got to be guys that give you a similar Michelle Chubb level contribution. Uh, but it, it's a very interesting comparison all the way around. And I think it's one of the reasons why Georgia fans do have such high hopes for the 2021 team because of how it seems to, to compare with some of the better Georgia teams in recent memory. Uh, Forrester dog who always gives us really good stuff and he always posts his uh, post in our comment section here we talked about the baby today having the shoe thrown at him and uh, Forrester dog has put an actual golden shoe being the one that he ducks Forrester we'll have to give you a golden shoe for that and put this on the screen because it is always really good stuff always very very funny E-Rock, who was weighing in on the idea of outlandish predictions. And to be clear, the outlandish prediction we're talking about yesterday is those who thought that Georgia had to win the national championship right away and that the actual predictions are much more modest than that. And it reminds me of something I said on Wednesday's show of the only thing worse than facing a bunch of questions about when you're going to win a national championship is the moment when those questions stop being asked. 
And for Georgia right now, I think they're playing to prove that they are worthy of even being considered on that short list of national championship teams for the upcoming season. That's really what this upcoming year is about. It's about exceeding the the level of expectation. Individual players being better than they're being projected to be right now, adding up to a team that goes out and does more than just win the East for this upcoming season. So we'll talk more about that, obviously, in the days to come. We appreciate your comments here on Dog Nation Daily today. And, of course, it's always fun to uh, get your thoughts on what's going on with Georgia football. And the best way for you to share more of that is by reaching out to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in the comment section there at dognation.com. Love getting those thoughts. Love getting your opinions about what's going on with the program. You can always weigh in to do that. We'll be back tomorrow another edition of our program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and I will look forward to seeing you then.